Hello and welcome back to Nomads, you and I. We are going to hike up one of my favorite chapters, Mark, in the entire New Testament, Philippians chapter 4. Absolutely. You know what hike reminds me of this hike, Mark Dunnigan? Oh boy. Can you guess? A mental health hike where <laughs> I'm kind of falling apart. Do you know what hike that was when all that was happening? Oh, was that like in the Redwoods? It, it was somewhere in the Redwoods. I feel like it was after Sequoia. Okay. Well, it had to have been sometime around Eureka, California, right? So we go on this hike and it was kind of in the middle of, it was My head was whirling on trying to look for some peace. So, Mark, if there was ever a scripture hike Mm -hmm. (laughs) that is good for our mental health, the way that that physical hike, because the thing is, that's my favorite place to hike. Okay. Like, there is nothing for me better than, especially the California Redwoods, even more than the Sequoias that are more south. Yeah, in the Sierras. In the Sierras. Um, Yeah, the California ones have all the mossy goodness all the greenery, all the ferns, and just there is no more favorite place for me. That's my happy place. And to be there during a time where my head is wrangling for some peace. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say this chapter is kind of like that hike for me. Yeah, we. I mean, it was uh, in the Redwoods just beautiful because you're surrounded by the big trees and light filtering through the trees. And there's a name for that. There's a name for the uh, light. It's that a Japanese filters. word that starts with a K, and I do not have that on the yeah, top of the tip of my Yeah, that filters through the trees. Well, and Mark, I think the thing that makes it so poignant for me is the fact that you're looking at these trees that have been around since some of them as far back as the time of Christ. And a lot of them have been through wildfire after wildfire after wildfire. And some of them are gutted and they all are like scarred and scorched and burned. Not all, but many of them, right? Yes. And yet you see this life springing like, okay, I think I still have something that I can go ahead and put forth. And to see what the beauty that it springs forth after all of that pain and loss of a fire, I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can really identify with that. <laughs> yes, sir. You go like, yeah, I kind of feel like that redwood. Yes, you're like right me. Now. I can relate to you. Yeah, there so. they are, partly burned out, branches yes. torn off, but still majestic okay. and still standing strong. So I'm guilty, tree hugger. I okay. plead. I plead guilty. The thing about the redwoods is you can't get your arms around them. You know, <laughs> right? They more they more hug you than you hug them. All right. Yep. All right. Marky Marks, let's jump in then to chapter four, please. He says, therefore, and that would go back to the previous chapter, therefore, my beloved brethren, in light of the fact our citizenship is in heaven, Jesus is showing up, eagerly await him. When he does, he's going to transform our humble body or our decaying body into a glorious body. And in light of that, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I love the phrase, my beloved. First um, John 1, 4, by the way, says, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. But whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So, yeah, why don't we go around calling each other our beloved? Hello, beloved sister, etc. And 
Yeah, just the fact that he longs to see them. Like, let's, Mark, let's be so pleasant to be around that. People long to see us. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I want to be somebody's joy and crown. Let's be so faithful that when others think of us, they thrill over how we are thriving. Yeah, that we're not a downer. They don't worry about Mm -hmm. us, maybe. And so you're right. I like that phrase, joy and crown, as well. Just thinking of you and your faithfulness gives me joy. Crown, I think, you know, I think crown would be like what I delight in the most is your continued faithfulness. Mm -hmm. They give him deep satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Um, They're also proof of the validity of the message and that his efforts have not been in vain. Paul was often concerned about that. That is putting forth all this effort to try to reach and save people and teach people and build people up and that the people would really, they would thrive on that. Yeah. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, quote, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, stand firm, just like he just said here. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So, Mark, when he says in this way, stand firm, is he talking about everything he said up into this verse or mm-hmm. yeah, is I it think, also what he's about to say in well, this way? I think it will it will be all of that, but particularly the therefore I think it takes you back to follow the pattern. Mm-hmm. Follow the pattern that Paul followed and avoid the pattern of uh, short-term thinking people, uh, instant gratification people, God is their belly people, etc. Avoid mm-hmm. that pattern. Mm-hmm. The people that set their mind on earthly things. So then, Mark, he urges two people to live in harmony in the Lord. What are their names? Iodia. Okay. Where you get the U and the O there, and Synthety. All right, so they must not have been getting along, huh? Well, it says he urges them, and man, he calls them out. Yeah, how embarrassing. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> well, well, yeah, my name's in the Bible. Yeah, oh, for the next... Oh, boy. Well, it's been 2,000 years, but for the next, however, let's say 5,000 years, (laughs) millions of people, millions of people from every culture on the face of the planet are going to read that I was having, me and this other person were having problems. Mark, what can we do? (laughs) What can we do to make peace with the brother or sister in Christ that we're most likely to be in a tangle with? (laughs) Right. It says to live in harmony in the Lord, but he quickly adds... Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle Mm. in the cause of the gospel, Mm -hmm. together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so it's it's not that he calls them out because they were like lukewarm sort of people. I think I think they're kind of called out. They really had done a lot for the gospel. They were, he calls them co-workers. He even says their names are in the book of life. That's why Satan wants to take them out. Yeah, so I think there was, maybe this is mentioned here because there is so much at stake here. Yeah. There's something here that he urges, and true companion, I don't know, that may kind of speak for the entire church. I'm not sure okay. if that's talking about a specific individual in okay. Philippi. It just looks like, hey, church in Philippi. These are two very highly respected workers in the Lord. They have some sort of difference now. Help them work through that. You know, I've kind of, I've noticed over all these years of being a Christian that the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And it's like, Satan, if you are super productive for God, you are going to be tested 
in a big way because you, you know, it's like the bullseye gets bigger and bigger on you, the bigger game you are to the enemy of our soul. So yes, look out if you are ultra productive, you especially need to walk circumspectly because you are going to be challenged in some way. That It's interesting that he says, help these women. He really doesn't identify either one of them. I mean, he doesn't say, well, the reason for this is because this one's sin or that one's sin. Paul could be, I think, aware of something like this. Uh, Paul and Barnabas had quite the um, argument over whether to take Mark with them in Acts chapter 15 at the end of that chapter. So it's just kind of interesting here. It's interesting that it seems like if one of these was in sin, it would be mentioned, and it's more help these women. Okay. A number of the disagreements that sometimes godly people have right. is not necessarily anything whether I've done or you've done. Right. It's a disagreement sometimes over a third party. Right. That's been the case for us, isn't it? Like, oh, if there were no dragons to slay... Yes, yes. Yeah, things would be far less complicated in our lives. So, But then it says, quickly, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That cannot be emphasized strong enough, but it's qualified. Rejoice in the Lord. Keep on rejoicing, no matter what you go through. Keep on rejoicing that you have a relationship with God and all the blessings that God Mm -hmm. has given you. And even though there are things that are discouraging, and Paul would... Paul will mention those. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about the pressure that was on him, concern for the churches. Mm. At the same time, I don't ever find Paul, you might say, being in despair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, this phrase, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Yeah, that's the list you need to be on. <laughs> yeah, because Revelation 3, 5 says, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels, unquote. Mm-hmm. So... Verse 5 to me is an interesting verse. Let, and that, that would indicate choice and free will, mm-hmm. let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Then it says the Lord is near. So let would have the idea of like, okay, don't hide this. I guess it'd be also, you know, when Jesus talked about don't take your light and put it under a, a bushel or, or something like that. But gentle spirit, I think there's a lot of translations of that, like forbearing spirit or sweet reasonableness or your good will. One thought is that Christians are reasonable people. We are very flexible on opinion. The one thing that we're inflexible on is truth, Mm -hmm. as it should be. So in that sense, we are very reasonable Mm -hmm. individuals. Yeah, I was thinking about how in 2 Timothy 1, 7, where it says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Um, I was thinking about that, kind of putting it alongside this verse, and was thinking about that given that we are to be confident and bold, it's a quiet and kind kind of confidence, isn't it? Like, it has nothing to do with enjoying a good fight. Right. Or it's being not, pugnacious, as Titus 1-7 forbids. You know, it's, is that one of the qualifications of elders, right? Not right. to be pugnacious. Not a striker. <laughs> yeah, or not, pugna- uh, yeah, not quarrelsome. Right. Not eager for a fight. 
Right. And so we have a spirit of power, but yet a gentle spirit. Isn't that interesting? Well, I think that's the definition of meekness. It's Mm -hmm. like a stallion, but you would put this bridle on a stallion and all this power and energy would be channeled. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the Christian has all this power and energy and all these emotions Mm -hmm. that are to be properly channeled. There's even a place for like anger to be Mm -hmm. properly channeled. Yeah. And so I think... Man, there's a lot here, and maybe it was just kind of left generic because there is a lot here. Like, let people see how forbearing you are, how yeah. patient you are. Yeah. Let people see how reasonable you are. Right. Let people see how uh, enduring you are uh, in, in the sense that you're not going to give up, you're not going to quit, and just let people see that, that you're not going to get discouraged, that you're not going to throw in the towel. And let people see the lengths that you will go to work with people uh-huh. and help them and help them get out of their, uh, helping them get their life together, you might say. Mark, look how the next phrase is sandwiched between what you just said mm-hmm. and what follows, where it just says, the Lord is near. A little bit like in Matthew twenty eight twenty, where it says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right. The Lord is near, so you don't need to like give people a knuckle sandwich for like, God is your power. So you can have this gentle spirit. The Lord is near, you know, he is going to take care of business. Yeah. That's an interesting phrase because it, it could mean two things. It, it could mean like the Lord is watching. Yeah. The Lord, the Lord He's is nearby. He's got you covered kind yeah. of thing because that kind of goes with verse six, be anxious for nothing. Right. Yeah. He's not distant. He's not on vacation, etc. He's not in retirement. He is always near to his people. In fact, he is so near that as we get into the book of Colossians 1, verse 17, he is so near that he's the one holding the universe together. He's the one holding all the atoms together at the end of the day. Yeah. And because he's near, we can successfully obey verse 6. Like, obey verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. If Is this a direct command? Yeah, it is. I and mean, is it, nothing nothing? Like, surely. Uh, first of all, here we have an answer for anxiety. And man, you would think, and I think people might have predicted long ago, that anxiety should uh, kind of go by the wayside the more comfortable life becomes. Compared to people in the past, most people in this country, even even around the world at times, how many people listening to this podcast are worried about where their next meal is going to come from? and things like that. We have an abundance, but it seems like the more physical abundance we have, the more that people worry. So more stuff is not the answer to anxiety. Which is reassuring because that means if all of your stuff is taken, you can actually be capable of still being anxious for nothing. Yeah. And I think for nothing that's purposeful because some of the anxieties, Cindy, that can trip us up the most are not what you would call the big anxieties. Mm. What I mean by that is a lot of times people would say, well, what are the big anxieties? Well, like death. How about that? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> How many people have been tripped up, not because they were knocked off their feet by worrying about death, they were taken down by worrying about what someone thinks about them mm-hmm. or I remember Cindy one time like in a meetup and a guy said, and this was his reason for not marrying. What if I marry a woman and I get cancer and she leaves me? And it's like, that's not on my radar. Uh And so I think that's why the word nothing 
okay. comes up is that any worry can be dangerous if you fixate upon it. No matter how trivial as an outsider you might think it is, like, why are you worrying about that. Yeah. I mean, it should maybe just be a mantra for us. Something's going to broadside you. I had it happen just this morning where I was told some information and I could feel the adrenaline, negative chemistry in my body go from my head to my brain and it feels like sudden Holocaust. Okay. (laughs) So there's a physiological response to bad news. But yeah, I think you make a point there on not nesting in it, not dwelling on the thing that makes you anxious that you can, you know, take control of your thoughts. I mean, it's, it's probably the ultimate challenge to consistently rest our souls in his tender care, no matter what the circumstances are. I mean, it's maturity. And yet at the same time, God wired our brain to feel adrenaline when our lives are in danger so that we can use that energy to stay alive. He's also tasked us to train our minds to see life from an eternal perspective so much that we fear God much more than any kind of physical danger or social danger. Basically, you cannot stop anxiety from initially showing up. You can't stop an anxious thought from showing up at the door. But because the rest of the verse says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request, and that would be that would be the things that you're anxious for, be made known to God. So the passage is very realistic in the standpoint, worries are going to show up. Mm-hmm. Anxious thoughts are going to show up in your head. Okay. So it's what you do with that anxious thought. Mm-hmm. It's you take that to God in prayer. Now, the world kind of ridicules that. Yeah, and it's interesting that Thanksgiving is right here with the prayer and the supplication. So that kind of takes us back to that rejoice in the Lord, right? So it's not that you're going to be like, okay, let's let's trick my brain into thinking this uh, source of anxiety doesn't exist. Right. But, I mean, my mother set this example for me, like with every single thing that would happen, she's like, Okay, that's the reality. Feel it hard. Grieve it hard. Spill your tears. Yes, feel your emotions. Now, clear your head. What is there around this to be thankful for? Um, I'll give an example here that I may take out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know if I'll edit it out or not, but I'll say this. One example of this situation at play was I'm on the operating table about to get a C-section. I've already had my anesthesia and she is right there. She's got a list that she's reading to me. So I'm about to give birth to a baby that has no more than a brain stem. Uh, the baby was anencephalic and she's right there reading all the things that we were thankful for in that moment. We are thankful for modern medicine. We are thankful that you knew ahead of time and on and on and on she went. So this is something that can be practiced. Um, when we crashed our motorcycle, we are alive, you know, right there on the concrete. That was our first conversation. You're okay. I'm okay. We're alive. This doesn't matter. And then we just took care of business. So kind of doing that assessment, like what is there to be thankful for right now? Yes. So as you deal with anxiety, which you will, and you need to learn to deal with it properly, I like what Cindy said, as you're dealing with anxiety and taking that anxiety to God in prayer, don't lose sight of the things that you need to be grateful for. Uh, Don't lose sight of your gratitude. And it's interesting. It's almost like in that prayer where you're taking your anxious thoughts 
your concerns, your worries to God. Just don't treat God like a complaint department. (laughs) At the same time, let there be gratitude that comes Mm -hmm. up in the prayer Mm -hmm. as, as well. Yeah, um, he's giving you comfort in different ways. Sometimes it's through the people that love you and the comfort that they're giving you. And during the time that I mentioned, we were surrounded with much, much love. So, and, and it's interesting that God wants to hear those requests. Book of Hebrews chapter 4, we come to Jesus. Jesus is there seated at the right hand of the Father. And so it's not like we're going through all these mediators. Yeah. Uh, our prayer goes right to the very throne of God in Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. We know we are heard and we don't have to wait. That is, we receive help in time of need. So immediately when that worry shows up, we can immediately pray about it. It's not Mm -hmm. like, okay, my doctors have been good, but we live in a world today, Cindy, that we hear about people that they have some sort of physical problem and okay, we can get you in, but it's going to be three months before we can get you in. Mm, right. And it's neat that prayer is not like that. Well, and he has, in his omnipotence, he has the ability to grant our requests. You know, the doctor's hands are tied to a degree, but God has that omnipotence and his loving kindness that is at the heart of all of his help for us. So that's why we're going to let our requests be made known to God. And he already knows what's in our hearts, Mark. He already knows our heart's desire, but in his wisdom, he waits to grant our needs upon our acknowledgement that he is the source of every good and perfect gift, James 1, 17. Yeah. I mean, even secular scientists, I think, are amazed at the power of prayer. Even they have to acknowledge oh, yeah. that uh, there was something there, that there was definitely <laughs> something yes. there. It makes a huge difference in people's lives. Now, the text says, it basically, it's, it's going to say, and you know what? This works. It works. And the peace of God. And that would be the peace that God gives. Yeah. I mean, except no cheap alternative. <laughs> which surpasses all comprehension. Your translation oh. might have it surpasses all understanding. And I don't think the Holy Spirit is saying that this peace that arrives, you can't understand it because... If that was the case, then it really wouldn't be very beneficial. Hmm. And so I like the word comprehension better here because I think what he's saying is the result of taking all your cares to God with thanksgiving is a peace from God that mankind can't duplicate with his strategies. Yeah, and boy, how many books have been written on strategies to find your peace? Yeah, so that there are counterfeit forms of peace out there that that, uh, you might say some money can give you for a while or maybe a certain philosophy can give you for a while. There are certain drugs that can give you that can give you this temporary feeling of... It doesn't feel so bad. Yeah, wellness or something like that. But it's, it's very limited and... It's pretty fragile, and this is a sense of well-being or peace, however you want to describe it, that man cannot duplicate. Well, and even to those of us who have received this, and I I have received this on a level where it felt like level 10, my own personal holocaust. Yes. And then pouring it out and standing up and physically feeling the removal. I mean, in some ways, I do think it surpasses even our own comprehension. But I agree with you. Um, as the world looks on and everybody's going nuts and is in hysteria and is freaking out, 
they're looking toward the believer going like, what is going on with him? Like, why is he not under a stand? A little bit maybe like during the storm where Jesus, you know, Peter's like, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? Kind of like that. And Jesus, you know, stills the storm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Then it says that this peace will guard, I like that, guard. Mm, uh, Visualize that. your hearts and minds. Yeah. I think hearts and minds here is purposeful because to me, heart and mind here would be like your emotions, your feelings, Uh that feeling emotion part of you and your intellect or your thinking. Your processor and all the rest, your thinking. Yeah. Your thinking. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart with all diligence because Mm -hmm. out of it are the issues of life. Mm -hmm. So don't be careless with your mental intake. Mm -hmm. Um, Second mm-hmm. Corinthians 10, 3-5 talks about taking every thought captive. Don't allow any thoughts into your mind that are false. Mm-hmm. And I think it's healthy, too, as you're looking for your peace. You know, something hits the fan, if I'm allowed to say that, and you give it to God. You immediately go to Him. Picture that guard mm-hmm. in your heart and mind that per- surpasses all comprehension. Instead of spending all your energy trying to fix something that you cannot fix. Yeah. Because there's going to be things beyond you. Yeah. There's, there's a whole lot of the world and there's not enough of you. Yeah. So, but if you have God, then you know that that's being dealt with. But uh, you feel f- sorry for people that feel that they are sufficient in and of themselves for every problem that they will ever encounter in the world. And usually people like that, well, they burn out or something yeah. happens to them. So w- when you look at these verses, particularly 6 and 7, yeah. along with verse 8, uh, incredibly practical, incredibly relevant in this day and age of what an explosion of just mental illness. Mm-hmm. When I think about that guarding of my heart, I think about like, what is it preventing from accessing my heart and mind? Like it's standing guard. It is not allowing in things like depression, anxiety, rage, arrogance, envy, self-loathing, lust, fear, sloth, like mental illnesses even, and all those life-ruining ripple effects that can stem from an unguarded heart and mind. There's someone standing guard for you there. You know, the Holy Spirit stands guard for us there. And just taste and see if the peace of God can keep you calm, even during the most incomprehensible circumstances. And I think you will find the answer to that to be a resounding yes. Yeah, the people that are not grateful, that they don't count their blessings, that they don't realize how much they depend upon God, all of us, including, you might say, the people in the audience, you know people that are bitter, and that just colors their entire mm-hmm. mental processes. You know people that are arrogant. You know people that are, are wrapped up in self-pity, and mm-hmm. it's everyone else, else's fault. They view the, themselves as this perennial victim. You know people that it's like they want to be a star in their own soap opera. It's so It's not how life is supposed to be. Yeah, I wish more people would look at these verses because here's the answer. Here's the answer that people have been wrestling with for centuries. How do you keep your head on straight? Yeah. Well, I can't wait to dig into the specifics of that on our next podcast. We'll dig into exactly what God says we are to think about in our pursuit of holiness and in having him smile upon our lives. 
Yeah, it's interesting. He doesn't leave us at like verse 7, and you're going like, okay, now, how do you do that? He gets very specific and says, okay, here's, here's how you do that. Here's how you guard your heart and your mind. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this scripture hike through Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7.